0: Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Haj Asad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting.
1: Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners, and welcome back to Sammy, who has been traveling the world for, I guess, the past two weeks. And when I say traveling the world, I mean going to one specific place.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I went on uh, a little family vacation to um, Jordan, which is in the Middle East, and I got to see all kinds of crazy things over there, which I will tell you about as soon as we finish this introduction. Ben, don't derail me. You know how antsy and frantic I get when I don't do my introduction properly. Yeah, right? but
1: antsy and frantic is good energy for the, for the episode.
0: Um, as I said earlier, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the Internet. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to tell us where you can find his latest work. Ben go for it, man.
1: You can find my work at Car and Driver, at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And
0: you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, Driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and uh let's go with EV pulse for my fourth one, okay, Ben?
1: All right. I was holding out for TechSpot, but
0: <laughs> uh we can talk about TechSpot next time. Who cares? Um well, I I hope they don't I hope they don't hear that. Is that a bad thing? Oh no! I uh, deplugged I deplugged one of my I unplugged or deplugged one of my publications. Womp, womp. Oh no! One of your
1: former publications.
0: Yeah. Now, um, so Ben, as I mentioned, I was over in uh, Jordan, where there is a ve- very different um, automotive landscape. Over there, they have a lot of cars of all kinds. Um, and I was surprised at what I saw over there because a lot of people tell me that Jordan is a relatively poor country and you're not going to see a lot of fancy stuff. But Ben, let me tell you, I saw some fancy stuff.
1: No, my question is, do you think the fancy stuff just stands out more because there's more non-fancy stuff? So when you do see it, you notice it, or do you think it's actually more fancy stuff than there should be?
0: No, I think you're 100% right. I think I get, you just get surprised and they stand out. But I will point out that I saw some really weird things that I didn't expect to see. There are a lot of old Mercedes and Jordan, uh, that are in great shape. They look beautiful. I don't know if they are, you know, still maintaining, they probably don't have like numbers matching sort of, uh, restorations under the hood or whatever, but they're all over the place. Mercedes and BMW in particular. Um, which has got me thinking that, uh, I gotta bring some over sometime. Or, oh, yeah. If I can. Nothing
1: sounds practical like importing a car from the Middle East that yeah, is exactly. also available in North America. <laughs> uh, maybe. We'll, 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 we'll look into it more, more closely. Maybe also check New Zealand. Maybe there's, maybe there's
0: some deals, <laughs> some Kiwi deals you can get. Um, one of the things that caught me off guard was the amount of large SUVs, because I always been, I've always been told that large SUV county is the United States and, and Canada. Um, but in particular, I saw the Toyota Land Cruiser, which is the latest generation Toyota Land Cruiser, as well as the Lexus LX um, 500 or 580 or something like that. What's what's what are gas
1: prices stuff. like in Jordan?
0: They're actually pretty equivalent to what we see here in North in Canada in particular. So they go by liters per hundred, um, and uh, doing the conversion, it's a, it's closer to two dollars a liter. Just, can you do the math for me on how much that
1: is? Two dollars a liter is like six thirty a gallon, adjusted yeah. for U.S. dollars. So
0: um, not particularly um, pleasant in terms of gas prices, and from what I understand. Uh, the locals tell me that when you buy a new car in Jordan, if it's a gas only model, uh, you end up paying a significant amount of tax. I think something like 50% tax. So it's kind of like is,
1: Norway in that way.
0: So they're really pushing for, uh, car buyers to get electrified vehicles. So I saw a lot of electric cars, including one, including ones that I've never seen before, like, um, Imperium Motors or Great Wall Motors. Um, Dong feng, You said Dong earlier when we were talking? Dong And then the one that I saw the most of and caught me off guard because it's a pretty new vehicle, is the ID four, the Volkswagen ID four. However, this Volkswagen ID four is not what we see in North America. It is a I think it's made with a in China or with a Chinese um automaker. Um and they come in two different um body styles. One is called the Cross, and I think the other one is called the
1: Pro, I was I was rooting for Cabriolet,
0: <laughs> and uh, it's very funny because a lot of my uh, relatives and in-laws were asking me about this ID four, and I couldn't give them the full scoop on it because, as far as I know, this is slightly different than what we get in North America. So I'll have to do my research and give them a more thorough answer. when, Still I, electrified when I'm working, yeah, all electric and looks more or less the same um, than what we get here. Oops. They also have the ID five, and I think they even ID six over there.
1: What was the coolest car you saw while you were in Jordan?
0: Ooh, that's a tough one to answer. Um, First of all, it caught me off guard that there were so few uh, Subarus, but instead a ton of Mitsubishis. Like, a ton of Mitsubishis, including Lancers and Lancer Evos. So, why,
1: why is this lack of Subarus, like, why did you find that unusual? Because I think we see so many Subarus in North America,
0: especially uh, in the enthusiast world, the STIs and WRXs. But to replace them entirely with Lancer and Lancer EVOs from all kinds of generations, um, including ones that we didn't really get in North America, which look really sleek, sleek and cool. Um, I thought that was really neat. Um, I also saw a um, a very nicely modified um, Mercedes Benz E one eight one ninety E, which looked like that uh, like that Cosworth. Um, like a uh, race car, you know, they had that really... Like the
1: DTM style. Car. Yeah,
0: it looked like a DTM style car, and I thought he was really cleverly modified in that in that sense. That's cool. Anyways, <laughs> enough about my trip, though, because let's talk about some of the cars that you've been driving recently. Well, I, Our...
1: there, there, I, I've got a segue for you. I've got two oh. segues. So the, it... first, the first segue is I went on a bit of a trip myself, and uh, I ended up on an island that didn't have, like, you couldn't drive to it, and there were no ferries that took cars, so... Whatever cars were on the island are kind of on the island to stay. Um, And when I was staying on this island, I was – Were you on Alcatraz? I'm not going to confirm or deny the location or name of the island I was on. I was there for a week and we were given – I was given we – I'm not going to also identify who we means, but uh, we were given a vehicle to drive while we were on this island. And that vehicle was like an early 2000s Honda Pilot. (laughs) Wow. I know, first
0: of all, can I talk to you about these, this generation of Honda Pilot before you go any further? Sure. I think these are unkillable. I think these are modern, unkillable cars. I think we have a mutual connection. I think his name is Willie. He bought one of these for like 500 bucks and like, it's a machine in well, half.
1: I was surprised because the person I was with was really into the car. Like, <laughs> yeah. they were saying like, I could totally see You know, owning one of these is like the right size and it's it's got enough space inside, but it's not – you know, it's not – it's relatively comfortable and sort of nice. And and it got me thinking a lot. The reason I bring this up is because I've never been in a pilot of that vintage or if I have, I I didn't remember. Like at the time, you know, it's just like these cars are kind of like wallpaper, you know, crossovers of that era – they were still trying to figure things out in mm. terms of what they should look like, and and, and I kind think of features you could
0: also have. easily mistake a pilot for a Highlander of that. Yeah, all those, of that age So when too,
1: when right? when I was riding in those back at when they were new, it's it's not something you take note of, right? I'm not right. I'm not trying to downplay them as good or bad. I'm just saying didn't really stick out. So this I this time though, I'm really paying attention because you know it's the only vehicle we have on this island, so I don't have much else to do. And I also have realized that my own vehicle ownership has stopped in like 2004. Like I own two 2004 vehicles right now and mm. I've never owned anything newer than that. And, okay. uh, it's weird. Like, I think this is maybe my era. Like this, <laughs> this you know,
0: is your scene. let me, yeah. let me,
1: let me explain though. I think that's the sweet spot for me where like cars have all the features that I want and none of the crap that I don't. And they're still – they're reliable enough. Like, the technology was refined. Car companies outside of the luxury world weren't trying to do things they couldn't quite accomplish. So things are relatively reliable. Fuel mileage is decent. And they also feel like you're driving. They still have kind of – they're not not as insulated as a modern car. So all that to say is it seems like 2000 to like 2005, 2006 – is, is they speak to you yeah it's it's a weird little when I think modern car <laughs> mm-hmm. my mind goes there for for what I'm looking for something and when I look at a car from that era, I recognize intellectually that it's quite old like almost twenty years old at this point yeah. but in my mind it feels it feels contemporary which is strange you, do you ever have that do you understand what I'm saying uh
0: yeah, I think I get you I think um this happens in a number, a number of ways. I think people when they think of, let's say, like uh, video games or TV shows or movies, like they instantly bring to mind a certain era or time where they thought was like the golden age. I think you're getting your own golden... I mean, I think what I'm trying to say is that golden age is always going to be subjective or or, or yeah, like, completely...
1: like this isn't nostalgia based. Like when I was, you know, in my early 20s, I didn't have a car... Sorry, of, not subjective. I, I didn't have a car from that period. You know what I mean? So it's not like it's nostalgia. I, so I'm not sure. And I didn't, I wasn't like, at, at the time, I don't remember being particularly excited about cars from that era. But now, like, looking back, there's more and more, like, when I'm in, even this is just a basic Honda Pilot. It's something exciting. <laughs> but I'm in it, and I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. Like, I, I, I get it.
0: No, sorry. I, I did mean um, the subjective. These are about your feelings, about your time, about your moment. Um, and I think that's, that's really cool.
1: It's strange though, because, you know, if I was looking, I would like to daily drive a vehicle from that era, maybe like, obviously I have the Jeep right now, which I, which is my daily driver, but I don't drive it in the winter. So if I wanted a year round daily driver, which I guess is kind of what my Subaru RS is, I I think that era would be good. Like I honestly, I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of a Viacross and like they were sold until I think 2001. So something like that, you know, but, but I know that that's a bad idea because that's an old car. And in the winter, old cars are not something you want to be messing around with. You want something like realistically, it's a much better idea for me to get something from like twenty ten to twenty fifteen. That's just if I was looking for an older vehicle that I was gonna daily. But in, in my mind, I still can convince myself that like a V Across is a new vehicle. <laughs> which is insane. Or or like an Outback from that era too. I really like the styling of them, but it's an old car.
0: Um minus lately my my Idea of that, I get uh, with that FJ Cruiser. I'm always in love with FJ Cruisers and stuff like that. You know that about me. Yeah. Um, and I think I can see that era being really cool for SUV. I think it's the SUV of that era seems really um, interesting. Like they were, they were like, like you said, they're trying to figure themselves out, and they all didn't follow the same formula to achieve that, did they?
1: Yeah. At that point, it hadn't been completely. What's the word? Distilled down to a formula. They, they were still companies like Infinity with the FX are like, let's do something crazy. Yeah. I think that's also
0: a cool car. I think I would def, I could definitely see myself in one of those.
1: And the FJ Cruiser is another example of let's like, do something that's totally outside the norm. And you had the little tiny, uh, you had the, the Honda Element, you had mm-hmm. the Cube, you had the, uh, I guess the XB. These are like proto crossovers. You had the Outback, which was still recognizably a wagon in a lot of ways. Yeah, And you had like the XC90, which for a long time was the only crossover from Volvo, really. I mean, you had the XC70, which was just a lifted wagon. But in terms of being what you would think of as an SUV, you know. So I think around 2010, the car companies all got together and said, okay, we know what crossovers and SUVs are now. And they're going to to be these –
0: Let's make all of them, as many as all, yeah, all of Yeah, these flavorless blobs of different
1: size. Like, that's pretty much what we got. I mean, remember, even with infinity, we talk about the FX, but think about the EX, which was like a lifted wagon, kind of, yeah. with no interior space that was a lot <laughs> yeah. of fun to drive, and rear-wheel drive with, like, a three-and-a-half-liter V6. <laughs> what was that car, you know? Make weird cars again. Remember the Toyota Venza? Yeah, I remember the Venza. It was a wagon Camry
0: that looked nothing like a wagon or a Camry. And then right? there was like,
1: the the Honda Cross Tour, which was a oh, wagon yeah. wagon Accord that looked horrible. <laughs> I and saw the, one, and the
0: Acura ZDX eventually. Well, maybe that's later. That's tw- that's, that's in the that's later. That's
1: that's when they had kind of figured out the formula, and and it, that was. You know the X6 actually predates the ZDX. Yeah. But uh, they're very, very similar in that all of a sudden the four door coupe was a thing. But uh, the Cross Tour is something that's that's super rare. Every time I see one, I take a picture. And speaking of <laughs> one more one more vacation story that I want to tell. That's yeah. Like, of like, when I was back on the well, not really the mainland because we had to take a ferry to an we, we you take the ferry to an island and then that island to the mainland. Like so. It was kind of a multi-step process. But on the larger island, I saw an, an Envoy XL. What? Yeah, a GMC Envoy XL. When is the, Not I the XUV or whatever? Sorry, X, XUV. That's right. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. XUV.
0: Okay. Or maybe one of the uh, half the U and the V fell over. And I it think I point. actually – I
1: posted it online on my Instagram and I think I hashtagged it XL, which makes me feel oh, like no. an idiot. But anyway – um, it's only the second one I've ever seen in my life. For, for listeners who are not familiar with it, in like, again, the early 2000s, <laughs> GM was making, I think, with the GMT. 300-something platform? I don't remember the platform name exactly, but they made like a million SUVs conservatively based on this one platform. You had like the Trailblazer, the Saab 97X, you had uh, the Buick Rainier, all these like really random SUVs. But the randomest of them all was the XUV version of the Envoy, which had a, a retractable steel roof that would slide back so that the whole third row and cargo area was exposed and you could put like really tall objects back there, kind of like it was a pickup, but it still had the full sides of the SUV aspect of it. So yeah. it, it, the only other vehicle to have done that in the modern era is a Studebaker, the Lark Wagon which was built in the late fifties, early sixties. I think only early sixties, actually. My dad has a couple of them and again, sliding steel roof uh, and they're super practical, but No one ever bought the XUV. Like, no one at all. I'd seen one in my lifetime. I remember everything about that moment, seeing it on the highway, where I was, what I was doing. Um, It's my my Kennedy assassination moment for cars, I guess. (laughs) And seeing the second one, the owner was there, and I'm like, can I take a picture of your car? He was like, sure. And he was super confused. (laughs) He was probably in his late 70s, and he had no idea why I was taking these photos. Um, Especially since it was parked beside a late 50s Ford pickup that was really nicely restored. (laughs)
0: I saw that too. I saw that as well.
1: Yeah. Um, aren't these related to a uh, avalanche?
0: Maybe similar no, to an I, avalanche? No. Not at all. The, no, the, so just GM was making weird cars.
1: I believe it was the GMT 360 platform. Let me look that up. But the the, the avalanche was a Silverado, and it was a lot right. bigger. Um, these didn't have a midgate.
0: They just G- had. I have GMT 360, and then the, specific to the XUV, GMT uh,
1: 305. Wow, that's funny. Because, yeah, so it was Envoy Trailblazer, Isuzu Ascender, Oldsmobile Bravada, the Rainier, and the 97X. And versions of this were also used to make the um, SSR.
0: So, Yo, there, there's some bangers in that list, actually. Yeah, so these are all <laughs> essentially... are rocking an SSR.
1: Come on, Ben. There was a guy who drove by my house two weeks ago in an SSR, and the two license.
0: Weeks? I love Actually, I love every specific detail about this story. The there license plate. The license plate said by. "Red Hot." Yes, of course.
1: <laughs> and it was super loud. Anyway, um, yeah. So that was my one segue. My second segue, though, is electric cars because everything's electric these days. Electric oh, yeah. cars that's, are cheaper that's in that's Jordan. Not
0: for electric cars, of
1: course. Electric cars are cheaper in Jordan, and so I felt the need to drive an electric car while you were gone. Okay, which one? I drove the Kia EV6. Wow! You know,
0: I saw the Ionic and EV6 out, out in Jordan as well, and um, that, the EV6 is definitely a, a weird looking car, man. I,
1: I just realized that EV6 is like ID4. Do you think that there's some kind of copycatting going on there?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Everyone needs to put
1: something in a, in a letter these days um, alphanumeric letter. So, you, you're, you're right in saying that the EV6 looks weird, but I think it looks less weird than the Ionic. No, the Ionic looks adorable. Like it okay.
0: looks, it's squarish. It has like this retro vibe going on. But and then I think the EV6 has this like overdone Supra style thing going on.
1: So I think that the Ionic is good looking, but I feel like it is outside the norm. Whereas I think the EV6 was Kia saying we want to make a more anonymous looking version of our. Because for those who aren't familiar, they both share the same platform. Both these vehicles. Yeah, sorry, are...
0: you, you you just mixed them up for a moment. So the Ionic. 5 and the EV6, which is ridiculous that they have different numbers at the end of the vehicle despite being <laughs> the same car. Yeah, it's, it's
1: EGMP, <laughs> yeah, which it's is EGMP. an 800, 800 volt, um, hybrid, not hybrid, sorry, That's EV cool. platform. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, they're, they're identical in terms of power. You can get a rear wheel drive version, you can get all wheel drive version, but the motors, the battery sizes, they are the same. I'm not sure if you can get the small battery in the Ionic right now. It might be all wheel drive only, but the key, the EV6, you can, you can choose between the two. In any case, though, back to the styling. I feel like it's much more anonymous. The rear looks kind of strange because it has like that, like, uh, almost like a whale tail spoiler. But if you look at it, it could be any other crossover, whereas you don't kind of get that vibe from the Ionic.
0: Yeah, that's true, um, and I think that's why I like the Ionic a little bit more because I think the overall profile and shape doesn't look like a crossover. It looks like a hatchback.
1: Yeah, it does. They both really look like hatchbacks, but the Ionic, the Ionic, much more so. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think the Ionic looks better. There's a couple things about the EV6's bodywork though that are important when you're talking about the car. Did you know that mm-hmm. it gets like 20 miles more range than the Ionic? I've heard this. Is this a uh, myth? No. So all-wheel drive versions of the vehicle, they both come with 320 horsepower, 446 pound-feet of torque. It's like a twin motor setup. Mm-hmm. But if you compare them in terms of range, the Ionic goes 256 miles, but the EV6 does 274. And that's the, according to the EPA testing. Yeah, yeah, EPA testing. And that's because aerodynamics. The, the All bo- aerodynamics. The body on the EV6, because it's more normal and less blocky, is yeah. a lot more slippery. But that aerodynamic focus leads to like one of the biggest frustrations I have with the car.
0: Oh, I can guess. I can guess. Please tell me. Blind no, spot. Guess. Guess what it is. Blind spot.
1: No. What? No. Guess again.
0: Oh no! I don't know. Now I thought just um blind spot. That's all I could think of. Okay. Well, Large port location.
1: No. And oh no! I will say I'm this. Oh for two. The Kia does not have a rear wiper. Just like the, oh yes. Just okay. like the Hyundai does not have a rear wiper, but that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is the door handles. It has... Say this, what? What's so wrong the, with the door handles? They they are flush with the vehicle, which is already strike one. Strike two, when I hit the unlock button, they don't pop out. Oh, no. What, strike, do, they do? what do they do instead? They do nothing. They just car <laughs> just unlocks. And then and then it doesn't actually always unlock either. If you want to unlock it, like, you know how most cars you go up, you hold the, pull the handle and it unlocks and you can get in? Yeah. For the EV6, it's a lot more complicated. You walk up to the car... You push this, like, indented area at the at the back of the handle, it unlocks, okay. then the front of the handle has to come out, so you have to, it has to be pushed in, sorry. So you do this, like, you contort your hand, push it in, and then it pops out part of the handle, and then you have to contort your hand again and pull it open. Every so it's not made
0: for, it's made for a specific grip, a hand, like, you need to use the your, uh, the specific hand, so when you're using the left-hand side of the vehicle, you have to use your left-hand no, down no to trick open the- to it.
1: It's awkward every single time. The no, high trim right models. Man. That doesn't make any sense. The high trim models apparently pop out automatically, but the version I had did not do that. And I can't imagine how much of a hassle it's going to be in the winter when that's covered in ice and you're trying to like get it's the ti- door time out
0: No, we need to talk about that in particular. Hold on. The higher trim level vehicle has pop out. The handles are the same, right? The
1: handles are the same.
0: And the higher trim ones pop out, and the normal ones do not, and you have to fumble around. This is what feeling I heard. Up the side of the t- feeling up the side of the door for you to get the, the handle. The
1: weirder, it. even weirder part is the <laughs> version I had had self-closing doors... <laughs> Which caught me by surprise. The door was, like, hovering near closed, and you know how, like, when that happens on a self-closing door, it, it'll suck it in? Yeah. So, like, that happened to me, and I'm like, oh, okay, self-closing. I looked it up, and it has them, but it doesn't have pop-out door handles.
0: That doesn't make any sense. That's got to be a mistake. That's got to be a problem. So, Maybe that's a chipset
1: thing. Who no, I talked that? to other people who had the EV6, and they were equally frustrated by Ooh. the door handles. Worst part of driving the vehicle. Um, The inside of the EV6, though is pretty nice compared to the outside it's actually I think nicer than the ionic uh, I'm looking at
0: the interior right now and they're they're very distinctly different uh, that's a really important thing to point out despite them having the same um, specifications and and platform and motors and layout and everything. This looks way less open and more like a cockpit that kind of wraps around the driver than the EV6. Yeah.
1: No, then you mean then the Ionic. I mean the
0: Ionic. Oh, you got me.
1: So the the Hyundai definitely kind of feels like an Apple store or a clean room kind of thing where it's like just the basics. Everything's very simple and there's a lot of open space like you mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. But the materials inside the Kia uh, give it... A, a more homey feel. I don't know. It has the wraparound stuff that you mentioned. It has, I think, actual door handles in s- that that um, are sculpted into the door instead of just like the poles on the Ionic. It was it was a nicer place to be. But uh, I do like though that for both vehicles, uh, both Hyundai and Kia have decided not to put giant screens in the center of the vehicle. They they're using a smaller rectangular. It's split in half, but it's like one piece rectangular setup that is your gauge cluster and your infotainment screen and it's just way more manageable and it doesn't overpower the aesthetic of the vehicle. So I, I appreciate that. Um
0: that's interesting. I heard some people saying that they didn't like the cabin design the infotainment design specifically. So and that in order to get like a normal especially when it comes to the HVAC controls, which I think a lot of them are touch sensitive.
1: Well this this system I believe If I remember correctly, there's a strip of controls underneath the infotainment and depending, you could, it's one of those things where you push one button and it does infotainment and you push another button and it does HVAC.
0: I kind of like that context sensitive sort of stuff, but I also know that it means that you have to pay attention to what is ever, it's on well, that.
1: Remember the steering wheel that Land Rover, Land Rover had, I think it was, with the yes. Evoke, where it was like super yeah. complicated. And you can, st- I think
0: they still have that.
1: Yeah, the context controls for that were, were not well implemented. Another unusual aspect of the EV6 that's related to its bodywork before we finish wrapping up that section. Uh, it has like 20% less cargo space than the Evo, than the Ionic, sorry. Uh, because of the sloping roof, it has like 50, yeah. 50 cubic feet instead of 59. Okay. Wow. It's not as much of a difference. Yeah. I mean, apparently it's not as much of a difference with the seats up, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but (laughs) with the seats down, it's, it's pretty big. I mean, I didn't notice it. I didn't pack a ton of stuff in there. I did move some stuff, but not, not as much as I normally would, but you definitely,
0: did you move some tires?
1: No. I mean, if I, I would have tagged you if I did. I know but uh yeah it's it's enough, I mean, twenty percent you're you're gonna notice that,
0: yeah, um, okay, then talk to me about the way this drives. I think a lot of people are going to be curious as to whether the e v six and the ionic five drive any differently than one another,
1: so Kia claims that the e v six has a more focused suspension than the ionic uh what does
0: that mean by more focused It's it paid attention in school or something it's supposed what is that to be
1: more about? driver oriented? I couldn't okay. tell. Um, some other journalists have said that they can easily spot the difference between them.
0: Oh, yeah, easily.
1: But for me, I mean, I. But the specifics are vague. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it just, it felt a lot like the Ionic, which is fine. Um, neither of these are driver's cars. They're both pretty quick off the line. The torque is, of course, instant and there's a lot of it. And they're reasonably sized. They're not huge vehicles. So it's like. I, I don't. I don't get into either of these vehicles thinking performance, and I don't really think you should pick the Kia over the Honda over the Hyundai based on those criteria. I don't based really on driving stock. Yeah, I. They, they're they're both fast enough for what you need to do. They both have the three hundred fifty watt three hundred fifty kilowatt charging, that gets you to eighty percent. Yeah, That's in like twenty minutes. Part, yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty sweet. Um, and the driving range difference between them is you know. Twenty miles. It sounds,
0: it sounds pretty important. I think twenty miles is a good is a good chunk. I mean, it's not ten percent. Sure. It's a little less than ten percent. But is it but... enough?
1: I mean, you like the looks of the Hyundai a lot better. Is that yes. twenty miles enough to shift you into the EV six? No, because of the
0: charge rate of these of both of these vehicles. I think they make up for it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, one of the things I think is really cool about um, about electric vehicles is I think we're really worried. Um, whether or not all these electric motors are going to feel the same, um, and I, in my experience, I found a couple of vehicles that don't feel the same as other ones. Like for example, I said this: uh, the tuning of the throttle in the Mustang felt a little bit more immediate than my experience in the um, Ionic Five. And I'm wondering if you noticed a different difference in terms of uh, throttle response or something like that with the EV6
1: between the EV6 and the Hyundai. Yeah. Now it's no. it, again. It's. It was probably three months between driving them, mm-hmm. and that's too long for me to be able to. There's not enough character in the car for me to be able to make that kind of determination over that length of time. I'd have to drive them back to back. Um, the other thing okay. too is you know you mentioned the, the Mach E, which mm-hmm. is probably the most direct competitor to these vehicles. I mean ID4 as well, but probably realistically, it's the Mustang. Mm-hmm. The The Mustang has much more performance available right now. You can get the GT and a couple other models that are much faster than the yeah. than the EGMP. But there's a GT version of the EV6 that's coming. That's going to have
0: 577
1: horsepower. Yeah, some man. crazy numbers. So uh, that's out there if you want to wait. And you're going to be waiting anyway because you can't get any of these vehicles. They're all, you know, dealers are asking for huge deposits and there's probably markups depending on where you live. So the, the supply chain has really knocked these around.
0: Okay. So in the long in in the final word of this thing we talked about um we talked about design we talked about interior we talked about performance and handling, uh, pricing. Did you talk about pricing?
1: No, uh, the pricing is the last thing I want to talk about, and it's interesting because the unlike the it's it's a bit more expensive than the Ionic. Um, because starts, you're getting more range though. I don't think that's why it's more expensive. I have a theory. The okay. th- they both start around the same price. Like the EV6 starts at forty one four which is not super expensive because you got to consider you're going to get federal rebates and all that stuff that go with it. But it is the most expensive Kia because you can get a $60,000 version. Well, sorry, 57,000 uh without options, which makes it more expensive than the Sorento plug-in and the Stinger, which I think are the two other most expensive versions of the uh, in in the Kia showroom. Um the, there's only ever been one other Kia that cracked the $60,000 mark. What was that, Sammy?
0: Ever? Yes, K uh, nine or whatever
1: it's called. Yeah, K nine, K nine hundred, and that was like an ultra niche luxury sedan that nobody bought.
0: I um, almost, I almost panicked there. <laughs> oh my god, I put it on the spot.
1: Uh, so th- to have the EV six kind of push up into that area again is, I think it's a little bit of a preview of where Kia wants to be positioning the brand because they have now this this EV six that has a twenty thousand dollar range in terms of what you can pay for it. Yeah, which is quite a bit of money. And the GT is going to be well over sixty thousand if the current top spec is fifty seven. So uh, I think that Kia is making a premium push that Hyundai isn't, and I think that's maybe because Hyundai and Genesis are more uh, associated and they kind of don't want to maybe eat into that market, but Kia isn't facing the same kind of restrictions. So. I'm, I'm worried about
0: this. I'm worried about this, Ben. I think Kia has been trying this for a very long time. They want to sell more expensive vehicles. They think... And, I mean, I think um, ultimately their vehicles are capable of being sold for a higher price. I mean, look at what... Uh, like you mentioned, Genesis, that e, that GV60 as well uses e, eGMP, uses the same motor setup, everything like that. These vehicles can be as good as a, a luxury vehicle. Um... But there's something about the market, the placement of Kia, where people just... I don't think people want to spend this much. The Stinger was supposed to be this vehicle. The K9 was supposed to be this kind of premium vehicle. K900 really disappeared, man. I don't think it it really executed or caught the attention of shoppers the way Kia, Kia thought it would be. And then the Stinger, which got a lot of critical success also really struggled to find a buyer. But both of
1: those vehicles are internal combustion. And I think that Kia is saying, you know what, we've got a third chance here. And that third chance is in electrics where we already have an advantage because EGMP is so far advanced of a lot of other companies in terms of their platforms. And they've been they made this smart move where they're selling an affordable version of the car, but they're making a much more luxurious and more powerful one if you want it. And for them, it probably doesn't cost much more money to build. So it's kind of like a secret backdoor into luxury.
0: I think they're just really trying to increase the amount of money they're making per sale, obviously. I mean, I think every automaker wants to do that. Um, And and I just don't think the buyers are are willing to to pull it off. Um, Anything else you want to add about this car? Would you recommend it? You don't recommend it. It sounds like you like it.
1: I you know I like the Ionic more styling wise. I think it's just a cooler cooler vibe, and those door handles are super frustrating. But yeah. apart from that, there's little to dislike about the car. I think that it's among my favorite affordable EVs right now, and yeah. I think it's worth a drive. If you especially if you can't get one or the other, I mean if you need an EV right now, and you're you're trying to decide between these two things, and you go to Hyundai and they're like, sorry, we don't have any Ionics, but Kia has some EV sixes. I think that's an acceptable trade compromise.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think you're you're, you're right on the money there.
1: Um,
0: one of the things you said is that they're ahead of the curve in terms of um, uh, electrification—that 350 or that 800 volt um, platform. But other automakers are catching up really quickly. Specifically, GM with their Ultium um, vehicles, and it sounds like their Ultium vehicles are coming. They they've released some news about the new. I think it's a chevrolet blazer e v and um a lot of reviews came out with about the new Cadillac lyric, which is an um it it kind of s u v ish crossover looking e v but yeah. there's some news about the lyric that I think we need to um talk about right ben
1: yeah so the the lyric has so the lyric is an impressive vehicle. The, the Blazer EV, a little less so. I don't think it has the charging speeds of the Hyundai. It has more range. I think it's up to 320. Here's the weirdest thing, Sammy, about the Blazer EV. You can order it in front-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, or rear-wheel drive versions. Why would you do that? Why, if you're a car company, would you make all three of those available? There's no... Why one... would you want to... Like, how, who would decide between the front and the rear-wheel drive? What kind of shopper is it's, that? It's strange because front-wheel drive essentially only exists... The reason bit yes. of a history lesson. Yeah, yeah. The, the yes. reason front-wheel drive is so popular is because of packaging. It is yes. way cheaper for a car company to put, you know, the engine, the transmission, and the drive axles all on top of each other at the front of the vehicle. It, it, it gives them – it's cheaper. It's a little bit more fuel-efficient because there's less driveline loss, and there's also more interior space because you don't have a transmission hump and – or not necessarily a transmission hump, but you don't have a drive shaft that bisects yeah. the passenger area. So – in the world of electric cars, none of that matters. (laughs) You can put motors wherever you want, batteries wherever you want. I mean, size obviously plays a role, but four-wheel drive offers no handling advantage. There's barely a traction advantage in the winter. That's not really something that I think is that important, especially considering how good modern winter tires are. And if you're worried about traction anyway, you can get the all-wheel drive model. So GM is in introducing all this complexity into their product launch and, I guess, maintenance because it's a totally different setup. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like under the skin, but it just seems super weird. Um, It does
0: seem very bizarre for the for the Blazer. I can't wait to understand a little bit more about this. I, I think the news literally just kind of happened over the past week. But we've got to talk about this Cadillac stuff. Okay. You You hit me over the head with this. You need to talk about this. So the lyric, which is impressive... Is the first all-electric Cadillac ever? First of all, back up. That's the first. That's the second time you made that comment. Like, you 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 paused before saying something about the lyric. You just said the lyric, which is blank, which is okay, which is cool, which is um, you said impressive. Am I blank. not allowed to use adjectives? I'm just curious because neither of us have driven it, and we've just heard people uh, get really excited about the new Ultium. Um
1: okay all right uh, vehicles Let right me qualify this for Sammy's pleasure the lyric which is comma on paper comma impressive comma ah
0: <laughs> yeah perfect
1: is their first electric vehicle their first all electric vehicle but the weird thing is they announced last week or a couple of weeks ago that if you were willing to sign a non-disclosure agreement and not reveal anything about your ownership experience they would give you like a $5500 discount and What's, this this was this was an offer that they made to apparently 20 customers in three different cities, Detroit, New York, and Los Angeles.
0: At first this blush, yeah.
1: this is pretty sketchy,
0: right? This is very sketchy. I'm curious. First of all, why why
1: these 20 people? Are they
0: influencers? Well, are they super critical? Are they engineers? It, it,
1: it's, it's always risky to reveal how many people are involved in a <laughs> yeah, game program because absolutely. it shows how many people are or are not buying your vehicle. So the Lyric is probably production limited. It's also, you know, Cadillac is trying to get a new customer here. They've never had an EV before like this. So I'm assuming...
0: come on. ELR was a beaut. Come
1: on. I like the ELR, but the ELR was not... That was an extended range hybrid. So in any case, it shows that, you know, this is a niche vehicle still, but but the, there's a couple of issues with this and one of them is the fact that if you own if you own a car and you can't talk about it and you do talk about it and then the car company sues you that's like a PR nightmare for any brand like suing your own customers is something yeah. you would always avoid forever um and, and that kind of makes me think that these NDAs don't have any teeth but the second weird thing about this is NHTSA got involved. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and told Gotta GM... got love
0: it when NHTSA gets involved. They're always sticking their nose in, in, in everyone's business.
1: They told GM, hey, we rely on reports from owners as to whether there are safety problems or other issues related to a vehicle. If you're telling them they can't talk to anyone, let alone us, then that's illegal and we're not going to allow it. And then GM came out with, okay, well, the reason we're doing this is because these people are actually part of an early adopters program, and they're going to help us test these vehicles on the highway. Where have we heard that before, Sammy?
0: We've heard that before over at another American automaker's um HQ. That's Tesla. Elon Musk and, and Tesla and their autopilot, they and even, I think, some of their weird repairs have required owners to sign NDAs to make sure they don't... um kind of catch on with some of the weird, uh, problems that people might be having. And they believe that that's okay because these, these owners are like, like lack of a better, for lack of a better word, beta testers. Yeah. Or, uh, I, that's not true. Look, when you pay full price for something, you're no you're a customer.
1: Like you, you really are a customer. And not only that, you should not be beta testing any product on a public road because I didn't <laughs> sign an agreement. To allow the person sitting beside me in the other lane to be driving a vehicle that might not be ready for prime time, so especially that, when it comes to uh, driver assistance features, right? That is the prop. That is the 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 pro- One of the major problems with this type of vehicle development. Now, to be fair, Cadillac isn't using the term beta testing in the same way that Tesla is. Cadillac is saying it's an initial vehicle study. Um, a lot of the time, that's done by employees. Employees have the cars before they go on sale. They put a lot of miles on them, and they get information that way. Cadillac is adding a customer component to that. Uh, I think that if Cadillac had done this without the NDA, we never would have heard about it,
0: and it wouldn't have mattered. It would have been fine. Right? Yeah,
1: and 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 now they're calling it an ambassador program.
0: Yeah, they're, so, they're walking back. <laughs> they are
1: walking back everything. It certainly feels that way.
0: But imagine this, like just like you said. Um, I like think rationally or or realistically speaking, if GM offered you or me a program, or let's not let's not say me me and you because we're media, but one of our listeners, um, the opportunity to take 5500 uh, $5, dollars off the price of their vehicle if they just signed this NDA, would you have recommended that they did this? Because w- to me and you, I'm saying, look, they're not going to sue you. I'm What's gonna- the worst
1: they can do? They well, can maybe
0: void your warranty. Yeah,
1: see, that's pretty... I would say that's maybe the worst thing they could do, and that would definitely be something that would give me pause. I don't but, think you should but ever... I got, but I just saved $5,500. But I don't think you should ever give up rights for money as a consumer, because <laughs> if something goes wrong with your vehicle, and you're not allowed to talk about that, and that vehicle ends... Let's say, let's say... It doesn't even have to be a Lyric, but let's say you have a Lyric, and the Lyric breaks, and the Lyric ends up at the dealership for six months... And there's no, there's no reason for the dealer or GM to prioritize a repair because you can't talk about it. You can't tell anyone why your Lyric is there. You can't even, maybe you're not even allowed to say you, you don't, can't drive your Lyric, right? Mm. So you're in a bad position as the customer. You also can't approach a consumer advocacy group like a better business bureau or a dealership association or anything like that and make a complaint. You can't complain. And in this case, is saying you can't even complain to the government. So it really disempowers you as a consumer. And if you're, if you're wealthy enough that you can pay for a Cadillac Lyric and not drive it and that doesn't bother you and you can just move on to one of your other cars, maybe that's fine. But if you're someone who's, you know, the discount means something and it's maybe the difference between buying the car and not buying the car, that's a bigger deal.
0: Okay, I'm on, I'm with you on this. Don't sign anything you don't have to sign. Don't that's sign ridiculous. anything
1: Sammy sends you either. I've made that <laughs> mistake so yeah. many times.
0: That's why we have over 270 episodes of the podcast. This is 280, believe it or you not. You would not
1: believe how many I am on the hook for. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um, there's one more thing, and that's, that's just uh, in English. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you want uh, our our. Podcast in Klingon. I think Ben's got the link, so he'll put oh, that man. in the show You hear how my sure.
1: throat is starting to go? It's because we did the Klingon podcast just before this one. Um, it's all like, har this and bach that. <laughs> I can only do that for
0: so long. I know. Our our episodes are way shorter when we do it in Klingon. And um, he's paying me in gah, which is useless to me. <laughs> Look, it's, it will be useful at one point. You know it will. Yeah. There's one more piece of news that I think our listeners really want us to talk about, and that's a new, Toy- an all-new Toyota vehicle that was announced recently called the Crown. Now, I looked at this uh, reveal while I was on vacation, and all I saw was this logo for the t- the Crown, which looks like a stylized version of the Pope's hat. Is that? <laughs>
1: No, that's not actually what it... So the Crown is a vehicle that's been for sale forever in to, in Tokyo. Sorry, not just Tokyo, but I see them most in Tokyo because they're often used as taxis. But in Japan, it was like Toyota's full-size vehicle for a long time, uh, full-size sedan. But I believe that the Crown has expanded over the years and become like a family of vehicles. It's, it's very well respected in the Japanese market. What we're getting in North America... Is like, do you remember in the '90s when Subaru made the the Outback for the first time? They didn't just make a wagon; they made a sports activity sedan as well. It was like a lifted version of the Legacy sedan. And do I
0: remember? I dream of this thing. <laughs> I think this is the this is the uh, is the OG, this is the father of the uh, of the crossover coupe. Even though they're not
1: coupes, you know what yeah. I mean. So it was a body cladding lifted sedan, and that's kind of what we're getting in North America. It is a Cladded lifted sedan because it looks like it should have a hatch but doesn't. <laughs> it just has a trunk. It's it's super weird it, and it's called the Crown. It's going to come with um a turbocharged uh, V six I think or is it two turbocharged four cylinders? I don't remember.
0: Oh no! Why are you asking me specifics? I thought there was going to be only hybrids. I thought Toyota's all about these hybrids. Yeah, but it's
1: a, one of them's a turbo and one of them's not. Mm. I think they're sorry, it's a two point four liter turbo hybrid system. So it's a four yes. cylinder, both rounds. And, um, one is, one is turbo and one is not. And, uh, it's, I believe all wheel drive is available, but in any case, it's an unusual vehicle. And especially considering that like crown means large car in Japan, but here in North America, we have the Avalon. So we have, we have one of our our listeners, um, Tim, he wrote in and he's like, what's the deal? Are we going to get an Avalon and a crown? And why would you bring a sedan over when big sedans aren't something people are buying? He likes the way it looks, but he doesn't get where it fits for Toyota. I don't really get where it fits for Toyota either. I
0: um I'm on the negative on both of those points. I don't think it looks that great, and I don't see where it fits in. Um it is a strange looking vehicle. Again, um a Toyota version of that Subaru Outback sedan, which happened in the in the nineties? But bigger. But bigger. Uh, with a weird non-hatchback look, uh, a weird, sorry, a hatchback or a, what's it called? Sportback look without a roof-hinged trunk. So, yeah, from what I understand. Hatchback.
1: But, Sammy, would you be surprised to find out that there is a hatchback version of this vehicle. In fact, there are three other crowns that are being deployed around the world. The one we're getting is called the Crossover, but they're also made a Sport, a true sedan, and an estate, which is like an actual SUV-looking thing. We're now, just- you
0: dropped the link to these four vehicles on me just before the podcast, and I was stunned, and I still am stunned, that we got this really strange version of the car when there are three other really modern, cool-looking cars that could definitely work on our
1: market. So I can see why we're not getting the sedan because, as Tim pointed out, the Avalon is there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to compete for numbers in a very small market already. So that one's scratched out. Uh, but the, the the estate type, which looks like it would definitely sell, I don't know if they're not bringing that in because it would steal away from Forerunner. Or, or maybe, a Lexus. Maybe or, it, I see a little bit of a Lexus in the front or end. Or maybe Venza know? because Venza mm-hmm. is a not great vehicle – in some ways but very practical like when i when i say not great i don't really like the drivetrain in the venza we talked about it's that just that a episode. rav4 hybrid yeah and it's not but it's the version that i drove just wasn't very smooth for whatever reason compared to my rav4 experiences but this kind of with the this has the same drivetrain but can also have that cool turbo so it would be even faster so nice. maybe maybe they're worried that you know we already have venza we don't need crown estate um but this the sport type i mean why not bring that over this sport type looks like a hatchback, like a crossover. Not
0: a crossover, like a like a hatchback. I don't know how else to describe this. It looks like a... How
1: do I describe this better? Bottom line, Sammy, Toyota made four crowns that are all kind of weird except for the sedan and the estate. Yeah. And then didn't give us any of them except for the strangest one. Yes. <laughs> and no one's really sure who's going to buy this car. We'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens when it comes out. I don't think
0: this is going to be... A success but i'm not toyota and i'm not i don't have the money to market i don't know how much money they want to spend marketing this thing or the price point at which this is going to land in because the avalon i think its biggest issue was it can be relatively expensive well the
1: biggest issue is it's it, it was perceived as an old person's car yeah, like a retirees real, kind of car. that is the real issue yeah and and um people don't buy big cars it, it, it's toyota's crown victoria right and yeah. people aren't really buying those anymore. The the other thing I want to point out, though, is that the logo for the crown looks a lot like the Monster Energy logo if the Monster Energy logo had gone to college and graduated. I thought it looked like the – it looked like – it either looks like a whiskey bottle or the Pope's crown. I see. Yeah. I can definitely see like the whiskey bottle, like Crown
0: Royal almost. Yes, that's right. Um I also found out when I Googled, when I uh, wikipedia this Toyota Crown, this is apparently the 16th generation of,
1: oh, yeah. of Toyota Crown. <laughs> C- Crown. Crown Victoria was not a word I used lightly. Like, that is the same, like, Ford's whole LTD thing and Crown Victoria thing. It's the similar vibe with the Crown. It was like, here's a big car that we started making, like, 70 years ago and then yeah. just didn't stop making. <laughs> <laughs> Except Ford, it's like... Sometimes you 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 die as the hero, and sometimes you live long enough to see yourself become the sport type, the sedan, the estate, and the crossover type.
0: Yes, that's right. Um, well, this is a fun episode. Um, I don't think I want to talk about anything else. I don't want to. I want to let. I want to let the episode land on a or end on a good on, on a, a distinctly
1: non Klingon note.
0: Yes. So Ben, tell me uh, where we can find. Um, All of our previous episodes of the podcast. Well,
1: if you go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, every episode is there. You can also find various services that we're on, like everything from Amazon to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox um stitcher we're, we're all over the place there's little buttons you can click and subscribe there but if you go to your podcatcher service you'll find us just searching unnamed automotive podcast if mm-hmm. you do find us please leave a review or a comment or something it really helps get us out yeah, of let, kind of-
0: let us know you're alive and listening
1: to us We yeah. appreciate it and uh, if you want to let us know you're alive and listening there's other ways you can do that too sammy
0: yeah just go onto our website go to the contact um The contact section, is that a good way to describe it?
1: Sure, that's how websites work.
0: (laughs) Fill out the form, and it will land in our inbox. Or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, Or you can email us the old-fashioned way. Apparently, that is the old-fashioned way now. There is no more sale mail. Uh, You can email us. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com.
1: I do want to say one last thing about the Avalon. Sorry, Mm. the crown. Why wasn't it an EV? Because...
0: Doesn't, I thought Toyota doesn't want to make... First of all, if it was called, if it was an EV, it'd have a different name. BZ
1: something or other. Crown I Zizzy. But, like, but it, it, I guess you're right. They don't want to make an EV so badly that they're willing to introduce a new ICE vehicle that no one wants to buy.
0: That's Toyota for you. All right.
1: Uh, Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week?
0: Next week, I've got the Ford Bronco Sport... And not the top trim model. I've got some three-cylinder model that I can't wait to talk to you about. I'm sure we're going to have some 181
1: horsepower of Fury. I am going to be talking about something with a little more horsepower. It is the BMW iX uh, 50.
0: That does have a little more horsepower. Just and to, I'm just eager to, to hear your thoughts because I drove the M60 version of the iX a little while ago, um, and I came away kind of impressed. So let's see what you have to say about it.
1: All right. Thank you for listening, everybody.
0: Take care. Bye.